Amen. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, when it says man of God, it also includes the women too. It means man as mankind, that the, that the mankind of God, that men and women of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Our Torah portion for this week is a double portion. It's Behar and Bechotai, which means on the mount and by my regulations. And the Torah portion spans Leviticus chapter 25 through chapter 27. And if I could put a title to today's message, it would be When Obedience Doesn't Make Sense. When Obedience Doesn't Make Sense. So before we get into our Torah portion, we're going to go to the Gospel of John chapter 21 John chapter 21 and then afterwards we're going to transition to Leviticus chapter 26 so in John chapter 21 this is after the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua and it said after these things Yeshua revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias now here is how he appeared Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and the two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, you know, and I'm wondering how he said it. This is after the resurrection. Peter still like just hounded by the guilt of betraying the Lord, saying, I don't know him. I swear, bleepity bleep bleep. I don't know the man. Right? So think about that. Simon Peter said to them, Maybe in a deep, burly voice. I'm going fishing. Uh, you know, he's just resigned to himself. I'm going fishing. It's the only thing I knew. The greatest opportunity in my life I screwed up. The Lord's never going to want me back. I might as well just go fishing because that's all I know to do. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Well, we're coming with you too. Because you had James and John. They were fishermen. A lot of the other disciples knew how to fish. We're coming with you, they said. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, how frustrating is that? Going on a mission trip, especially if you love fishing. I mean, Brother Mike, you get the day off from work. Nice day, cloudless sky, just a nice breeze to keep the bugs away. And you say, Tammy, I'm going to take my tackle, and I'm going to take my fishing rod, and I'm going to go down to the brook. You know, if I'm not back by dark, then, then, you know, call the authorities. So he gets his stuff and he starts going across the road and down the hill and the embankment and going through all the brush and the briars and stepping over logs and trees and finding just that right place in the brook. And you could literally smell the water, how cool and crisp and fresh it is, you know, and, you know, he's wanting to enjoy the day. You know, he's looking to catch some fish because he enjoys the sport of it. But he also enjoys catching the fish in order to give the fish away to clean them and give them to, you know, a poor couple. 
So he's fishing all day. Doesn't catch a thing. I mean, yeah, he's enjoying the nature and stuff. But imagine how frustrating that would be. You know, not catching a thing all day long. And the sun's going down. What do I have to show for this? You know, I'm, I, can't, I can't go back home empty-handed. You know, like, what's the deal here? And maybe in the process, he loses a few lures or the bait gets taken away and the line snaps or whatever. Just frustrating, frustrating. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. At dawn, Yeshua stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Yeshua. So Yeshua said to them, boys, you don't happen to have any fish, do you? No, they answered him. He said to them, throw the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Probably looking at each other like, who is this guy? He's got to be nuts. He doesn't realize we've been here all night. You know, what, 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 what does he know about fishing? So they threw the net. They decided to humor the guy. What could, you know, what could it hurt? You know, they didn't catch anything all night. If they throw it on the other side and catch nothing, well, no harm, no foul. So they threw the net and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. <laughs> That's bizarre. They've been fishing all night, apparently fishing on from one side of the boat all night. Maybe the fish were on the other side the whole time saying, hey, I'm not going to go over there. I see what's happening over there. But he's just throwing it on the other side of the boat and they did. And it says, um, they were unable to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciples whom Yeshua loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. You know, this isn't no nut job. This isn't no bystander. For this to happen, this is a miracle. We've been fishing all night and caught nothing. And now look, we can't, I mean, the boat's sinking. The nets are full and breaking. This has got to be the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he tied an outer garment around himself, for he was stripped down for work. He was nothing. He was basically in his uh, skivvies. You know, it'd be like uh, on a boat in your boxers. Like, there's no women around. Who cares? It's just us guys, right? But he wanted to be modest before the Lord. So he, he uh, threw his outer garment and wrapped it around him, for he was stripped down for work. So remember when I talked about girding the loins? You know, if he was wearing his robe, he would be too constricted and he couldn't really, you know, stable himself on the boat or stand and move the way he needed to in order to fish. So it says, uh, he wrapped his outer garden around himself for he is stripped down for work and he threw himself into the sea. You know, diving into the sea, you know, you, you, you have form. He just threw himself like he didn't care. Like there was no form. He probably looked ridiculous. He threw himself into the sea but the other disciples came in the boat like peter couldn't wait for the boat to get to shore he swam to shore because he was so excited to see yeshua but the other disciples came in the boat uh about 200 cubits offshore dragging the net full of fish so when they got onto the land they saw a charcoal fire with fish placed on it and bread and yeshua said to them bring some of the fish that you've just caught Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore, and there was 153 fish, many of them big, but the net was not broken. Uh, Yeshua said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. And Yeshua comes and takes the bread and gives it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Yeshua was revealed to the disciples after he was raised 
from the dead. So every people group and religious sect has a code that they live by, you know, certain customs, certain traditions. And sometimes when we visit other churches or other denominations, it seems weird to us. Not only does it seem weird, it actually seems wrong. And we can't put our finger on why it's wrong because there's really nothing wrong. It's just the way they do things differently. Imagine if you grew up in a Anglican church. They have a lot of liturgy. They have a lot of traditions and customs and the way they do things. And to us Protestants that has been raised in Baptist churches and what have you, it seems a little bit weird to us. You know, it seems a little too formulated, a little too formal and a little too, you know, uh, distant or whatever. But that's what they're used to and that's what they love. You know, it's same in Judaism. I would I could feel at home in a synagogue because I know how the order of service is and I know what what they do and why they do it. But to you guys, it may seem, oh, this is just a bunch of meaningless, you know, empty religious rituals. But to me, it, it's full and pregnant with meaning because I understand why they're doing and saying what they're doing. So, you know, every people group and religious sect has its own code to live by, their customs and traditions, etc. It may not always make sense uh, to them or the outsider. I've even talked to people who's been raised in Catholicism. They're familiar with all the customs and traditions. They just still don't understand why the priests do what they do during service because it was never explained to them. You know, so it may uh, not even always make sense to the people that are in it or, or the outsiders, but it has become a proven way of life for this particular people group or religious sect. And if anyone steps out of the lines of such a code of life, unsavory consequences tend to follow. So here we have this story of the Lord telling the disciples to do something that really doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem logical. So sometimes the Lord commands uh, to us seem illogical and counterproductive, and they don't make sense. Because from a human standpoint, Lord, how is this going to work? This doesn't make sense. Why are you telling me to do this? Isn't you know How dare we say, Lord, it's not going to work when he tells us to do something, as if we think that God's stupid or doesn't know as much as we do. I mean, could you imagine at first when he said, throw the net on the other side? You know, I mean, one account of the gospel says, but Lord, we've been fishing all night and caught nothing kind of thing. You know, so just about, it doesn't make sense. I'm the one who's been fishing all my life. You're a carpenter. What do you know? You know, you may have cast a, a line in a few times with, with your dad, you know, with Joseph, but you haven't fished with nets like I have all my life. I know where the fish are. I know what the, you know, how to catch a fish. I know what attracts them. We haven't caught anything all night. What's the point? It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But yet they trusted who Yeshua was and they did it anyway, decided to do it. So sometimes the Lord commands uh, to us seem illogical, counterproductive, and it makes no sense. But it reminds me what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 27 and 29, I mean, the Lord does this on purpose because he doesn't, want give man, he doesn't want to give mankind a chance to brag or to boast. You know, hey, I'm all that in a bag of chips. See, I know better than anybody else. So it says in 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 27, Yet God chooses the foolish things of the world so they might put to shame the wise. The wise are the educated, the doctors, you know, the ones who have degrees and all these letters behind their names and has all these certificates and accolades and, you know, has these positions of authority given to them. 
He uses the foolish things, country bumpkins, dropouts, those with Down syndrome, those that may be mentally handicapped, those that may be physically handicapped, those who may not have a higher education, those who may just be a, you know, a peanut farmer, whatever. He uses the foolish things of the world so they might put to shame the wise. And God chooses the weak things of the world so they might put to shame the strong. How many times have these big burly guys have boasted and bragged, but yet some skinny, scrawny, 90-pound wuss comes up and just says a word and just puts the strong guy to shame? Like, how can, how can you compete with that? He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chooses the lowly and despised things of the world, things that are as nothing, things that people in the world consider nothing, not even worthy of attention, so they might bring to nothing the things that are. He puts to shame those who think they're all a bag of chips. So that no human might boast before God. Human understanding versus divine understanding. We think we're so smart. We think we're so educated. I mean, we've been on this planet for, you know, 6,000 years, but others would say billions of years. Think of the accumulative knowledge that we've gained. You know, I mean, I mean my, my goodness, we used to make wheels out of rocks. I mean, it's the Stone Age. We use stone tools. Now we have these laser precision tools that are cut from the, the highest grade of metals. That And it's not just natural metals, metals that we've created ourselves by putting stuff together, you know. I mean, used to, they used to like heal people by boring a hole in their head or leeches or whatever. Now we know how to do brain surgery. You know, we could just look up at the stars and wonder what's up there, but now we've created rockets that we could actually go into outer space. You know, I mean, we've, we've written how many tons of books about science and law and everything from anatomy to zoology to botany. And uh, I mean, well, yeah, we're, we know a lot. We're pretty smart. But how does that compare? Let's even put that to the side and, and realize that Solomon was the, the wisest man on earth. And in, in Ecclesiastes and other parts of Scripture, it talks about how much Solomon knew. He knew something about every subject. doesn't matter what you put before him, he knew about it. And let's say the smartest man on planet earth is nothing compared to divine understanding, to what God is, to what God knows. Because the point is, we are created. Therefore, we have a beginning. And we have a physical end, an end to our physicality. And so we only know so much. We can only scratch the surface of knowledge, whether it be, you know, academic or even spiritual. So a human being, what hubris, what pride, what arrogance to say we know more than God. To say we know more than the one who created us. We know more than God himself or Jesus Christ. How arrogant is that? But yet, that's the way the world operates. Because religion's stupid. Everybody's religion, everybody that's in religion are ignorant, backwater hicks. They're brainwashed. They know nothing. That's the way the world looks at us. But David said in the Psalms, I know more than my teachers. Because of the word of God, I know more than my teachers. So Yeshua was telling, the, telling Peter to do something that just didn't make sense to him while he was in the boat. 
It may even fly in the face of our experience and expertise. You don't have a doctorate in this. I do. You haven't been trained to do this. I have. And then somebody tells you something and puts you to shame because they tell you something you don't know. So sometimes what God tells us may even fly in the face of what we know that's, that we're an expert in our field about. Well, Lord, that doesn't make sense. That's not how I was taught. But who are we to question God? Psalm 15.4b says, it basically talks about how God blesses and honors those who do what's right, even if it comes to hurt us. So it's basically talking about making oaths and promises and doing what's right, even if, it, even if we get the short end of the stick, even if we draw the short straw, even if we get duped and shortchanged. We're still blessed when we do what's right. When we do what's right and it doesn't make sense to anybody else, it's still beneficial for us to do what's right, and the Lord will bless us to do what's right, even if it hurts us and it doesn't make sense to anybody else. 1 Peter 3.14 If you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear or be intimidated. So the Lord... Wherever he leads, I'll go. You really mean that. He may ask us to do something that will make us look foolish in front of everybody else. Maybe, maybe even make us get arrested or fined or thrown out of some place. But we are blessed if we do what is right, even if it comes to somehow harm us or backfire on us as a human being. The Lord said we're blessed. And I would rather be blessed by the Lord than blessed by man. Because man's blessing only lasts as, as long as a roller coaster ride. It's like a three-minute thrill, and that's it. But the Lord's blessing just goes on and on, and it grows and gets deeper. And it's, it's more refreshing, more sustaining, more satisfying. So let's turn to Leviticus. Vayikra in the Hebrew. Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, starting with verse 3. This is in the Torah portion of Bechotai, uh, which means by my regulations. So these are talking about God's commandments, and some commandments doesn't make sense or they're not logical. And we wonder why God has commanded or asked his people to do such things. So in Leviticus chapter 26, starting with verse 3, it says, If you walk in my statutes... And keep my mitzvot, that is commandments. If you walk in my statutes and keep my mitzvot and carry them out. What is the, what is the most significant, powerful word in that verse? That's right. If. Very small word, only two letters, but it carries a world of weight, of meaning. If you walk in my statutes. If. You keep my mitzvot, my commandments, and carry them out. Then, so you have if and then, then I will give you rains in their seasons. The land will yield its crops, and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing will last until the grape gathering. The grape gathering will last until the sower at sowing time. You will eat your bread to the full and live securely in your land. I will bring shalom. I will bring peace in the land. And you will lie down with no one making you afraid. 
I, I tell you, you're you're hitchhiking across Canada. I bet you there were times where you laid down and you were a little bit of afraid. You slept with one eye open, didn't you, Brother Mike? You know, because you were in a you were in a place you didn't know it was an unsafe place. But here it says, I will bring peace to the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove dangerous beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. You will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase 100 and 100 of you will chase 10,000. Man, what odds are those? Can you imagine 10 people taking on 100 people? That's, you know, that's what, 10 to 1. That's crazy odds. Five of you will chase 100. 100 of you will chase 10,000. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you. I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. I am Adonai your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, so that you would not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and made you walk upright. If... <laughs> Very powerful word there. So we're getting a lot of promises in this passage, but these promises are not guaranteed. These promises are conditional, and the condition is obedience. If you do this, then I will do that. So we can assume the opposite is true. If you don't do this, then I won't do those things that are beneficial and good for you. So here in verses 3, three through 5, we have... Uh, verses that talk about stability and predictability and productive seasons. I mean, why do we do anything agriculturally? Why do we do anything seasonally? We do it because it's predictable. We know it's better to plant in the springtime than to plant in the fall. You know, we know uh, it, it's, it's because we know these things. So the verses three through five is talking about stability, predictability, and productive seasons but we're entering we know we're in the last days because we can no longer count on the predictability and the stability of the seasons what was it when, what year was it when it the weather was so cold and it rained so hard and the crops got in a couple months late remember that year it was weird and it was bad as everybody's like what's going on with the weather i mean how are we going to have a harvest if we've planted two months late and it wasn't a very good harvest and people, you know, suffered. It's no longer predictable in the United States and Canada. Our weather, our seasons are no, we can no longer count on them. Think weird things are happening. So verses six through eight talks about safety and security. If we obey God's commandments, we're going to have stable seasons, stable weather patterns. We're going to have predictability in our society and we're going to be stable agriculturally. If we keep God's commandments, we're going to have safety and security in our nations. This is no longer so for the United, United States and Canada. One of the biggest booming industries is security. Security systems. You know? Installing safes. Installing uh, panic rooms. 
uh, locks on the windows and doors, you know, laser alarms, um, you know, things like this. Uh, you, know, you can't get in here unless we scan your eyeball. I mean, security is a big booming industry, and that is because we don't live in safety and security. Cities and places in the world that used to be safe, I mean, how many of us grew up not locking our doors at night? You'd go, you'd say, oh, well, I've got, I've got to run to town real quick. You wouldn't even think to lock your door. You trusted your neighbors. You trusted your community. You, you wouldn't even lock your car door because, oh, I'm just running in just for a second. You know, you didn't even lock your car. I didn't start locking my car door until we went to Nashville and started living in Nashville. And I regularly locked the car door after that. You know, so safety and security depends on when you lock your doors. If you do not feel safe and secure where you're living, you're going to lock your doors, your, your, your house, your home, your car, all this kind of stuff. So safety and security is promised and guaranteed by God if we keep his commandments. But our nations are not keeping his commandments. That's why their city, I mean, my goodness, the whole BLM thing that happened a few summers ago, good people trying to help other people almost lost their lives. They're like, don't steal, don't loot, don't hurt other people. And those people trying to help almost lost their lives. And those same people that helped are now being drug off to court like Kyle Rittenhouse. Because there's no longer safety and security because we've walked away from God's commandments. Because man thinks they know better. Man thinks that they're wiser. What's the logic in what man has been preaching and teaching? Politicians, you know, have said, well, if nobody carries guns, then everybody's going to feel safe and nobody's going to hurt anybody. Uh, did you know that when you have, you're allowed to conceal and carry, the higher population of gun owners and gun carriers, the lowest crime rates? It's not like the Wild West, like everybody's like, ooh, I got a gun. Let's go and have a duel. It's not like that. You know, if, if I know that Mike's packing... And I know that Mike has like $10,000 in his wallet. If he's packing, I'm not going to touch the guy. It's not worth my life. Now, maybe if he wasn't packing and I knew he had $10,000, maybe I'd say, oh, man, I think I can take that old man. I think I could choke that old bald guy out. <laughs> I mean, hey, the advantage is mine. I'm younger. I've got a great, I've got a reach advantage against him. You know? <laughs> So safety and security is guaranteed when we obey God's word and God's commandments. And it also talks about foreign takeover. If we obey God's commands, our nations will not be overcome by foreign forces. Now, yeah, I know that, that, that foreign armies aren't marching the streets, but guess what? China is buying up farmland. They're beginning to own more land in Canada and the United States. They are starting to have foreign troops and foreign bases very close by. You know, and because we're disobedient, God told Israel, you disobey me. One of the last things that's going to happen to you is you're going to be taken over and carted off into exile. How far away is Canada, the United States from something like that? We are ripe for foreign takeover because we think we know better than God. We think we know how to run our lives and run our countries better than God does. Verses 9 through 13 talks about prosperity and, and providence. And I'll just kind of read those really quickly. I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. Think of these bumper crops. We could, we could be having bumper crops, but yet we're struggling to feed our own people. We're struggling to, you know, keep uh, the shelves on the grocery stores stocked. 
I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I don't think the Lord's walking among our nations. I don't think the Lord's walking in our countries anymore. He's stepping back and letting us step in our own puddle of poo. He's given us enough rope to hang ourselves with. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am Adonai your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, so you will not be their slaves. The Lord delivered the United States and Canada from the, the political and, 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 and religious slavery of England. We could be free and be our own people, but yet we're enslaving ourselves again because of our woke culture, because turning against the word of God. And I have broken the bars and yoke and made you walk upright. We are no longer grateful to God. We are so many generations removed from leaving Europe. And now the history has been rewritten that, oh, it wasn't that bad. We're just rebellious little people that made our own nations. And we forget how grateful we should be to live in the United States and Canada and what we were originally founded on, the Judeo-Christian values and principles of the Bible. And we've, we're, we're no longer Christian nations. We are post-Christian nations. But God, if we keep, our, if we keep his command, commandments, he promised prosperity and providence. We are seeing the middle class undercut and getting poorer. We're all living from hand to mouth at this point. And that's the thing. It's the middle, the middle class is being eradicated so that it's just the elite and the very, very poor. That's what happens when you go to socialism. You know, you, you, step one, step two, step, okay, you got democracy. Okay, uh, we're not so cool with that anymore. Let's go be socialist. The next step in that parade is communism. The next step in that parade is a dictatorship. And that's when everybody starts dying. Divine presence and, protect it and protection is being lifted from the United States and Canada. I knew God has, t has taken his hand off the United States when 9-11 happened. When 9-11 happened, it was as if God was saying, wake up. I'm no longer protecting you. You've been so disobedient. I'm allowing this terrorism to take place. Whether it was foreign or an inside job, it doesn't matter. I'm letting it happen because you've walked away from my commandments and from my precepts. We may not be able to control what goes on in Ottawa and Washington, but we can control what goes on in our hearts. We can control what goes on in our homes. We can control what goes on in our neighborhoods and in our communities. So individually, we have a responsibility to say and do what is right, even if it hurts us. We're promised a blessing. We're promised prosperity. We're promised protection if we do what is right. So it's up to us. And I've said this before. A lot of people will look at the world and say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. This is just prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes, and we just got to let it happen. Bullcrap. And I've said this and I'll say it again. It's my fault. It's your fault. It is the church's fault that Canada and the United States is where they're at today because we've shut up. We've become quiet little passive wallflowers and we, we refuse to stand for what is right. We refuse to protest. We refuse to petition. We refuse to be the conscience of our nations as God called us to be. What if it's not the Holy Spirit that's the restrainer? What if we the church is the restrainer? And the Lord has taken the restrainer away because we have failed to uphold God's principles and moral codes. 
Yes, we may not be able to stop prophecy from happening, but we can pump the brakes. If your brakes go out on your car, there's some things you can do to slow your car down or to stop your car. You can pump the brakes and hope that a little bit of it works. You can get everybody to open the doors and to drag their feet. You know, you can go off into the into the uh, berm and into the gravel and you can slow down. You can look for a place to turn off. It's inevitable that your car is brakeless and that, that you can't, you know, it's going to stop at some point. But you can choose whether to stop being plowed in, in, into a semi-truck or stop on your own. You can either have a sudden stop because you're doing nothing to stop it or you can do something to slow it down so it's a safer stop. And we, as Canadians and Americans, we are, it behooves us, we are obligated to do what we can in our nations and in our countries to slow down this race to the cliff. Canada and the United States are like a bunch of lemmings and we're running like mad to jump off the cliff to our own demise and destruction. But we can say, oh, oh, oh let's pump the brakes here. Let's slow down a little bit. How? By saying and doing what is right, even if it hurts us. By getting involved and petitioning and protesting in peaceful ways to try to let Washington and Ottawa know, hey, not all the country believes the way you do. No, the country doesn't want all this woke crap. You've just, you've just shamed us and we've been shut up too long and now we're sick of it. And we got to stand up and do something. So we may not be able to totally stop it. We can slow it down. But as far as individuals, we can make sure that in our lives, we're saying and doing the right things so that God will bless us. God will look after us. God will watch over us. God will protect us. And you hear stories of this over and over again in countries where there's persecution, how people are being rescued by God because they're standing up to do what's right. I mean, God could have let Daniel be ate by the lions. He could have let the three Hebrews be burned up in the fire, but he chose not to because they were righteous and they did what is right. And he wanted to make a statement by saving those guys' lives, by protecting them because they were righteous, because they were holy. And we need to do the same thing and stop compromising and stop being fearful of taking a stand. Well, if I take a stand, I'll lose my job. Well, if I take a stand, they'll, they'll, they'll cut my pension. If I take a stand, then I might be fined. If I take a stand, then I might be put in jail. Or if I take a stand, then they may take my kids away from me. Or, my, or if I take a stand, then I won't be able to see my grandchildren again. Or if we can go on and on and on and on. Do you trust God or don't you? Are you willing to do what is right even if it hurts you? Because would you rather have God's blessing or the world's blessing? God's blessing or man's blessing? We have control over that because we have a free will choice in that matter. I want to choose God every single time. And I've been convicted over the last several months of how placid I've become. And a lot of you think, oh man, you're pretty, you're pretty bold. You're pretty outspoken. No, not like I used to be. I've kind of toned down. I don't know if it's just, that's just the process of, you know, getting old and being an adult. I don't know. But I, you know, and I'm like, no, I can't be that way. This is not the time. For that I've got to be radical we've got to be radical we've got to stand up what what if after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended and went back to heaven what if the disciples the 12 disciples acted like we do what if they decided to express their faith and live like we do would have the book of Acts ever been written would we even be sitting here meeting in the name of Jesus if the disciples acted like we do Probably not. 
And you know, I, I'm preaching to you, and as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself because I'm not living up to the standards. I'm not living up. I've got to practice what I preach. And it is fearful. It is scary. It is intimidating. But this is going to separate the men from the boys. It's put up or shut up time, especially now that C11's been passed. We still going to post the same things we post online? Or are we going to cut back because, oh, I might get fined or I might get kicked off Facebook or whatever? Yeah, they're going to do everything they can to shut us up. And the only way that they're going to really shut us up is when they cut our heads off. But big deal. Where are we going to be? We get promoted. <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If it takes martyrdom, then praise God. How many martyrdom stories have we read in Fox's Book of Martyrs and elsewhere? And we've been inspired by that. Maybe the last great thing we'll ever do on earth might be martyrdom because our story will be forever told for those who witnessed our death. Man, they died singing the praises of God. Man, they died preaching the word. Man, they died, you know, giving glory to God. Man, they died preaching the truth to the lost. Yeah, they were skinned alive. They got their tongues cut out. They got their limbs chopped off. They were burned, whatever. But they had, but God gave them grace to endure. And they, le they left this world in a blaze of glory. If that's the way it's got to be, then I'm going to believe he's going to give me the grace to endure that. Do I want to go through that? Heck no. It's not like I'm going to be like Horshack and go, ooh, 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 me, me. No, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not a glutton for punishment. But if that's the way that God wants me to end my life, then so be it. I will trust he will give me the words to say and the grace to endure. Because whatever pain I'll endure, it's, it's a, a moment compared to eternity. You know, and we may die at a ripe old age. Who knows? But the point is, we've got to live consistently from here on out. You know, it, it, the time to kick up our feet and let somebody else do the evangelizing. Let somebody else do the witnessing. Let somebody else do the ministering. Let somebody else do the teaching. Let somebody else do the preaching. That time's over. We are either a nation of priests or we're not. Some of us have more responsibility like Aaron and Mike and myself because we're called to teach and preach. But you aren't bench warmers. You are not permitted or allowed to sit on the sidelines. You are called into the fight, into the fray, just as much as we are. And you can reach people that us ministers can't. Because when I go to places, people know that I'm a preacher. They avoid me like the plague. But they'll talk to you. You know, they may know you're a Christian. They may, you know... Make fun of you that you're a Bible thumper, but they'll listen to you before they'll listen to me many times. So you are just as responsible for the gospel and for teaching and preaching and ministering as I am. And I'm here to equip you and to teach you how to do that. You know, spiritual warfare, like I ran into, I always run into this all the time. Oh, we've got this going on at my house and, you know, there's demons and blah, blah, blah. What do I do? We want you to come in and cleanse the house. You do it. Not saying that I'm not willing or that I don't want to or whatever. But you can say the name of Jesus and it be just as powerful as when I say the name of Jesus. Amen. What makes me so special that my prayer works and yours don't? That's a lie. If you are a man and you are a husband, you are the priest of that home. You have the authority over whatever spiritual crap's going on there. And you can say the prayer just as well as I can. I want to teach you how to do it. I want to work myself out of a job. That's my goal, to work myself out of a job. Just because I have the title of rabbi or preacher doesn't mean I know it all or I'm better at doing what I'm doing because of that. You guys have the authority. You guys have the same spirit that's in me as the same spirit that's in you. 
The same spirit of Christ, the same Holy Spirit's in me is the same one that's in you. You have the power. You have the ability. You have the authority just as much as me. And it's time that we all rip off our private stripes and throw on the sergeant stripes because we're not privates anymore. A lot of us has been saved for a while. It's time to put our big boy pants on and put away our huggies and grow up and be men and women of God out in this community and start winning people for the Lord. Whether you get a dog sicked on you, whether you get a door shut in your face, whether you, somebody slaps you in the face, whether somebody threatens you, whether somebody laughs at you, doesn't matter. We need to be bold. Wasn't planning on going there, but that's where I went. All right. Well, I'm going to close with a blessing over the reading of the word, and then we'll sing another hymn. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, for the word of God is quick. Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divide asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just make us bold, brave, fearless witnesses to do right even if, it, if harm comes to us as a result. So that we may receive and live in your blessing rather than the praise and accolades of men. Lord, if you could do what you did with the apostles in the book of Acts. If we were just as brave, just as bold, just as obedient, what could you do with us? You said in the last days this would happen. You said in the last days that, that, that you know, prophecy would happen again and people would rise from the dead. And you said to the disciples, after I leave, you'll do greater things than, than I do. It's about time we see the book of Acts miracles happen again because we're in a place where we've got to live by them or we're going to die. So give us the faith the grace and the gift of faith and the boldness to believe and to act upon that belief unapologetically, unashamedly for the honor and glory of your name so that just as the disciples turned upside down the world, we too may turn this place upside down where we live and make an impact and a difference. Yeah, they were chased. They were marred. Even James lost his life at the beginning. He was the first disciple to meet his death. Peter was crucified upside down. I think it was Luke got his brains beat out. Mark or James, one of them, they got their brains beat out. But Lord, they changed the world and it's because of their obedience and their boldness and radical faith is why we are sitting here right now in 2023, meeting in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, teaching and preaching the word of God, praising and worshiping you and fellowshipping as believers. Lord, create the book of Acts in this little place of Plaster Rock, through us. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.